Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. I'm Anna David, and I interview actors, writers, musicians, and other creatives about addiction, recovery, and sharing their dark to find their light. Well, I think that all my heroes were drug addicts. This podcast features both the interviews and the stories. The interviews often share the dark. The stories often share the light. Oh, yes. I had eight butt cakes while watching 35 forensic files, but I did not drink. Are you a light hustler? Keep listening to find out. And I was like, really? Like, that's you? That's that's it? That's what I am? I'm just bad at being uncomfortable? So simple, and it also makes me feel like it's such a dick. Hi there, you're listening to Light Hustler. It's a podcast hosted by me, Anna David. We talk about mental health, addiction, recovery, all the fun topics. If you're new to the show, thank you, thank you. If you're old to the show, thank you. And either of you, uh, if you could go to iTunes and rate this podcast, that would be great. I closed my eyes while I said that because I was embarrassed asking for my needs to be met. Um, If you are somebody who does not like the term alcoholic and is more interested in, well, what if I'm a sort of gray area drinker or I don't relate to these terrible stories, but I don't want to drink? get rid of that label alcoholic. You're going to love this episode. I give her a proper intro once we get started. It's from a Facebook Live interview that I did with her today. So uh, what else do I want to tell you? If you think you may have a book in you, please go take my quiz. I have a quiz for you. It is at futureauthorquiz.com. Don't go there now if you're driving. I made it easy for you, you who's driving and wants to take that quiz, just remember futureauthorquiz.com. You're a future author. You can remember those words. And now I give you Ruby Warrington. Well, hi there, anybody who's there right now. I'm Anna David. I uh, host these interviews with people about recovery, mental health, all the fun topics. I am so excited about my guest today, but we're going to get to her in a second, even though, spoiler alert, anybody who's watching, you can see her beautiful face already. She doesn't get to talk yet. You do get to also hear her laugh. What I always say is if you like the people in your life, please go share this with them. If you don't like the people in your life, by all means, don't tell them about this because this is going to be a really illuminating fun, exciting, and a little bit different interview for me. So with that, I am introducing our guest. Uh, Ruby Warrington not only has one of my, the best names I've ever heard. And P.S., I worked on a TV pilot last week and I named the character Ruby. Uh To me. After meeting you, because I just love that name. Uh Anyway. She's a British writer and thought leader currently living in Brooklyn. She's formerly features editor of the UK Sunday Times Style magazine. And in 2012, she launched The Numinous, a cosmic lifestyle platform 
that updates all things new age for life in the now age. She uh, she works as a consultant and she started uh, the Sober Curious event series Club Soda NYC and the spiritual coaching program Moon Club. She's the author of Material Girl, Mystical, Mystical World, but the book we're talking about today is her second book, which was recently released and is called Sober Curious. Welcome, mm. Ruby. Anna, thank you for that great intro. Well, it's you, so nice to be here. Um, I, I actually uh, read it uh, from, which is rare. Usually I just completely wing it, but I didn't want to miss anything. <laughs> um, so, so Ruby, what is very interesting to me about your story, and I think what is interesting about your story to many people, is there is this whole contingent of recovery means Alcoholics Anonymous, you are an alcoholic for life. You must be sober. And sober means not only not drinking, but specifically working a 12-step program. Now, your stance is different. What is Mm -hmm. your stance? Well, that has not described my journey. Um, Interesting. I can sum it up almost in a kind of a sentence in a way. People often ask me, now that I'm out there in the world talking about being sober curious and have been talking vocally and being quite open and hosting events on this subject for about four years now, people say to me, so are you sober? And I I I didn't know how to respond to that for a long time. But what I say now is I'm not sober and I don't drink. Mm. So <laughs> I'm not sober because I'm not in AA. I don't, I don't call myself an alcoholic. I'm not in recovery. I'm not working the 12 steps. And I know that I know from, from speaking to people within that community who's, who's, whom that has been the path to not drinking, to becoming sober, to abstaining from alcohol. I know that actually so many of the things that I've experienced along the way, so many of the experiences I've had, so many of the realizations I've had through getting sober curious and so much of the work I've done on myself personally, very much kind of mirrors that journey. It's just mm-hmm. that I, that a lot of the way that, um, a lot of the languaging, the structure um, and the sort of ideologies, I suppose, of the AA model didn't speak to me and didn't seem to reflect my journey. It didn't seem to reflect where I had got to with drinking by the time I got to AA. I have been to a couple of AA meetings, um, and but I kind of got there by the time I was drinking maybe like once or twice a month. It was not mm-hmm. something I was thinking about daily. It was not something I really thought about that much. It was just that there were these occasions when I would drink and I knew I didn't want to. And everything I'd onboarded by that point was like, if you're drinking when you don't want to, then you have a problem and you're an alcoholic. But I got to the meetings and I was like, what I'm hearing here is in no way reflecting where I'm at. So it really felt to me like there was a kind of a middle ground, which I've since learned or heard spoken about as this kind of area of gray area drinking that wasn't really, it seemed to me, being addressed by our standard kind of model when it comes to talking about addiction, when it comes to talking about quitting drinking. So Sober Curious was really kind of a response to that. I knew not only from my own experience, but from speaking to and witnessing other people in my community, meaning my friendship groups, my family, that many, many more people than ever wanted to speak about it openly had a conflicted relationship with alcohol. Many, mm-hmm. many more people than would ever see themselves as a candidate for AA had a conflict, deeply conflicted relationship with alcohol. And I was like, why aren't we talking about this more openly? How about if we all just start talking about it? Maybe we can find some more solutions. Maybe we can find some more pathways that invite more people into a questioning 
of what's really going on here and hopefully a healthier relationship to alcohol going forwards. Now, this is something I'm always curious about. It is, uh, did you have any hesitations about sharing your personal story? Um, you know what? No. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm not an addiction expert. And so all I really have to teach from, if that's what having a book out is, is my experience and is my story. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I really do feel like the more honest we can be about how we got where we are, the more um, we can help other people see that it's okay to, to do things their own way as well. So I'd also had my first book, my, when my first book came out, it was way more personal than I'd kind of intended for it to be. It's way more personal than my publisher wanted it to be. <laughs> but I actually found that the only way I could write authentically about what I was writing about and share authentically was to include my own story. Mm-hmm. So I actually mm-hmm. believe, and I, you know, I, I also believe that actually one of the, the most beneficial and beautiful things about the AA community is the, the sharing of stories, the sharing of personal narratives, you know? It's, mm-hmm. with, it's in that sharing that we understand, that sharing and the receiving of other people's stories, that we understand we're not alone and that we're not weird and there's nothing wrong with us and that so many people are experiencing the same things as we are. And in fact, so many people have reached out since reading the book and been like, thank you for putting my experience into words. I didn't really know how to communicate what had happened to me, but reading your story has helped me make sense of, of my story too. So how did you know there would be, like, especially with starting Club Soda, how mm. did you know there would be an interest in that? Well, it's interesting, right? This has been, su- it's been such a personal thing, such a personal kind of path. But I got to a point, like I said, where I had been consistently and steadily drinking less and less, being sober curious, meaning just really bringing a questioning mindset to like any, anything to do with drinking rather than just kind of going along with what I call the dominant drinking culture. And this had been uh, like five, six years I'd been on this, on this path by the time I found myself at an AA meeting and had this realization of like, this doesn't seem, I bet there are tons of people who are not being served by this, but who could kind of use this or yes. parts of this, you yes. know? And it was around that time I started speaking to some other people in my life who, had, who I knew had a similarly conflicted um, experience with drinking as I did. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the overwhelming response was, let's, yeah, let, let's do something. Let's, let's do, have an event. So I began hosting these kind of panel events, which would have meditations at them. We'd have different speakers from all different walks of life who had many different paths to sobriety or, or even mindful drinking. Although I'm, I don't really like that term. But, um, you know, just to kind of sh- come and share their experiences. And then, oh, wow, now we have this, like, sober curious movement that everyone's mm-hmm. writing about. And it's mm-hmm. like it seems to have been bubbling up around the same time. But this is, I mean, we touched on this before we started recording, right? I have a background as a lifestyle journalist. And I think part of the reason I was a really good features editor and features writer is because I just have like, I've got a bit of a spidey sense for kind of zeitgeisty topics. It just so happens that this came from a very personal place. Like I, my, my personal journey was a reflection of something that many people are experiencing on the macro. Yeah, and that's it's really interesting to watch those two things kind of dovetail, and and see how my experience is now being spoken about as part of a movement. You know. Yes. Yes. Um, did you, as a features editor, were you writing about your personal life as well, or just reporting? No, no. I was always telling other people's stories, and that's still something I love to do. My website, The Numinous, I've always had 
multiple different voices on there inviting many people to share about their experiences of spirituality and what that means to them. Um, and so sharing my own stories is something I have got used to. <laughs> and let's talk about the numinous. Mm. For people who don't know what that means, like me, uh, <laughs> what does that mean? Okay, so the word numinous, um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it has re- origins in, in organized religion, I suppose. But the, the term that I, the description I heard that makes the most sense to me, the word numinous means that which is unknown or unknowable. And to me, it speaks to anything that comes within the realm of human experience that we can't necessarily articulate in yeah. words. We can't necessarily explain scientifically or logically. It just kind of is. And to me, that speaks to the emotional, spiritual aspects of our being. And so my website, The Numinous, covers many different um, tools, practices, ideologies around connecting to that numinous part of ourselves Mm -hmm. and seeking to make better sense of who we are, why we're here, why we feel the way we do. And that extends to why we use substances the way we do, because for me, and this is something, again, it's, it's obviously an integral part of the AA piece, but it's like, for me, yeah, the, the sober curious journey is intrinsically a spiritual journey. Because where does that desire to drink come from? Right. It's a desire to better understand, meaning control, explain, explore our emotional states, right? So the two, for me, are intricately interwoven. Yes, and one could say it is when you are drinking spirits, you are seeking spirit. Well, quite. There's a uh, chapter in the book on spirits and spirituality. And when I was doing a bit of research into this, I was looking into why spirits, as in like alcoholic spirits, got the name spirits. Yes. And because it, and it's because it was the name given to the, the essence of whatever the substance is. Once you remove, you know, you boil it down, you get to the essence of this substance, you're creating spirits, like distilled alcoholic spirits. So again, like I think of my spirit as the essence of my being, you know? So it's, yeah, yeah. I love, I, I, I can never get enough of that commonality. <laughs> and so let's talk about the astrology component. Is astrology mm. spiritual to you? To me, it is. I'm so glad you mentioned this. I did a talk at Wonderlust Yoga Festival in Atlanta this weekend, just gone. And my, I did two talks. The second one was called The Astrology of Addiction. And I was like, this is so super niche. Like, who on earth is going to come to something on The Astrology of Addiction? But it was packed. People were obviously, mm-hmm. like, really ready to talk about that. Um, and I kind of was talking about how, for me, a spiritual practice is any practice that helps to remind me of who I am in my essence. Underneath all of the conditioning, all of the expectation, all of the kind of, like, bullshit a lot of the time that the outside world has kind of placed on me in my experience all of the labels that people might have about me or might have picked up about myself underneath all of that is my spiritual essence mm-hmm. and so a spiritual practice astrology being one of those for me is anything that helps me reconnect back to that essential piece so astrology does that because ultimately i'm learning to understand and read my own birth chart helps me to really kind of see parts of myself that might otherwise be hidden. They may be in my shadow. They may be parts of myself that I have disavowed. They may be parts of myself that society would rather I didn't express. And so I've learned to keep quiet and keep hidden. So astrology for me is one of, one of those tools that I use to reconnect to who I, who I am in my essence. So, and so we can also then the, the addiction piece. It's like, 
we can also look in our in our birth chart to some of the more challenging aspects of being us, <laughs> um, which may be some of the things that are, are painful or uncomfortable for us to be with. And so therefore, we find ways to medicate and to numb that pain and to escape from those parts of ourselves. Yeah. And that's a lot of in the book. What I did is I read it over uh, on my Kindle, which means you can highlight, which means that you can then send yourself your highlights and print them up, which is uh, what I did. So (laughs) here's a line that I absolutely loved. So here we have two different kinds of triggers, one motivated by fear of social discomfort, the other by a craving for an experience of something like magic or transcendence, which we were just talking about. But, Mm. But what I thought was interesting about that is that uh, I think a lot of people are aware of the fact that they the the first trigger I don't feel comfortable I need to lubricate or whatever it is mm. but I certainly know uh, that I was not thinking I was seeking transcendence I didn't even know I was seeking comfort until mm. I stopped drinking I thought I was having fun. Mm. Um, but, but and re- related to that is you talk about the negativity bias and um, you actually say something that I have said before. You say Saad de Simon, um, if I'm pronouncing that right. Saad de Simon, he's Sa- um, Brazilian. <laughs> and, um, you know, Rick Hansen, who's a Buddhist scholar, says the same thing, which is it takes five positive thoughts to offset one negative thought because we are biologically program to look out for negativity because that's what kept us alive. Mm-hmm. So, and how much do you think that plays into alcoholic drinking? Well, it's interesting. Um, I want to talk about the first thing that you mentioned first, which was this idea that especially, especially when we reach a point where we realize alcoholic alcohol has become problematic for us in some way, where we, we're aware that it's causing us more pain than, than the pleasure we used to perceive that it brought us. We definitely are very, we can get very on board with this idea of like self-medicating. The idea that, okay, yeah, I've been using it to cover up things. Oh, is that your cat or my cat? It's my That's cat. your cat. I'm like, <laughs> where is my cat? Um, but I think um, for me, a lot of my drink, I, 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 and I'm getting sober, meaning, you know, no longer numbing out from those painful, difficult experiences has made me realize how readily and quickly I was using alcohol to do that and how readily available it is to anybody who is experiencing any level of discomfort. Like almost like why would you, how could you not become quite attached to this thing that will yeah. switch off your discomfort with the downing of a shot? It's like why how how could you kind of avoid that? Right. <laughs> actually. right. Um, but what I also realized was that a lot of my drinking, particularly in the earlier days, was more about like or as much and equally about wanting to connect to something bigger, knowing that there was more to the world, there were other dimensions that I could explore, that that there were more answers out there than I could was being presented with in the kind of like 3D cold reality, sober reality, you know. And so I was using alcohol to look for those experiences of transcendence or like magic, you know, the idea of like, wow, the world is so much more colorful and vivid and interesting and inspiring than I felt it to be before I had this drink Mm -hmm. and so what I'm really interested about and I think why the spiritual path is so interwoven into this for me is that I've been able to through using different spiritual practices like meditation breath work um even ritual you know to have those kind of transcendent experiences that I was also looking for Mm -hmm. in alcohol to escape in a healthy way 
from the kind of like day to day to find some extra inspiration or to find some creativity. We all have an idea, right, of the kind of tortured artist who uses alcohol or other drugs to access their muse. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of one of the archetypes we have of kind of alcoholic drinking as well, you know, that's almost more acceptable in a way because it's like, if they're artists, they need it to access this part of themselves. And like, we all actually have a desire to access our creativity and our inspiration. And the perception is that that alcohol and other substances can help us do that, but we can actually, we can use other practices to facilitate that connection too. Yes, and and it's interesting. We were talking before we started about about sharing stories and how mm-hmm. we both believe that everybody has a story to share, and um, you know, and that's something that also to me is a practice of healing because I don't know about you, but I've always used writing as a tool for healing. But what I didn't know until I started writing about these things was the additional freedom that could come from seeing how many people related Mm. to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I consider that a spiritual experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. I run circles I call story medicine circles, which are essentially what's happening in AA. Like you come, you get a spot to share, you get to express your truth in its wholeness. You get that witnessed and you understand the meaning of your life. Like it's, it's really simple. It costs nothing. And we don't have many places in our society outside of support groups and recovery circles where that is sanctioned, you know, and right. off, so often actually our intimate story sharing with our friends comes laced with liquor too. And we almost feel like, you know, that's another thing we're seeking when we, when we have a, a bottle of wine with a friend, it's like, oh, let's get really real with each other. Or let's get really vulnerable with each other. What about if you sit down and get that real and that vulnerable without the alcohol? That's when we, the healing can really happen because you feel right. all the feelings that are accompanying that exchange. Right. Which is what right. we miss from the influence. Yeah, and sometimes forget after it happens. Oh, yes. Usually, always. I would say always. We're, we're always going to forget a piece. We're never going to have the. We're never going to have the kind of like physical memory of how it felt to share that. And you know, speaking of uh, a sharing circle, we met because Lisa Smith, our mutual friend, when I was in New York, put together this dinner. And I love that I could sit down with you, Tawny, who I met once at a concert where, you know, obviously we couldn't even hear each other. And it felt like we could just get immediately real because we mm-hmm. share this, this mm-hmm. commonality. Mm-hmm. Um Thank you, by the way, Sarah, Art, and anyone else who is here. Thank you for chiming in. If you have any questions for Ruby, because she's an astrology expert, (laughs) you know, I'm personally interested in taking advantage of that. You told me at dinner that you're creating a curriculum around astrology. That is correct. Well, my next book, I mean, this is the other thing. You stop drinking, you tend to get like super, super productive. Yes. (laughs) And now I need to check that because I'm like, oh, it's possible to be too productive. I actually ordered the book from Workaholics Anonymous recently. I'm like, does this Uh actually even exist in our society that so kind of like celebrates overworking? It does exist. So I'm going to be diving into that. But no, my my next book, which will be three books in two years, um, is a, it's called the Numinous Astrology Deck. And it's a deck of cards, like an oracle deck that is also a tool for learning astrology. And it comes with a book that teaches you all about how to read your own birth chart. Um, And in, um, in concert with that, I'm kind of transitioning or adding to the Numinous, something called the Numinous Astrology School, which will be like a monthly membership program where you get different lessons and different teachings every month to help you really dive into your own chart so that you can, like I said, begin to really understand 
all the different parts of yourself, all the different experiences you've had, all the different things that are factors that are playing in from relationships, family background, conditioning and society, to you feeling the way you do about certain parts of yourself, and therefore being more inclined to want to medicate those things or, um, yeah, um, you know, rather than kind of like diving in deeper to if anything comes up that's confusing or painful, just run away from it and forget mm-hmm. and try to forget about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm glad you asked about that. I'm really excited about it. When can we expect that? It's launching June 4th. Amazing. Speaking yes. of astrology, two days before my birthday. Is it? Oh, my oh, God. Yes. Yesterday was my birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Oh, my God. Aries, sister. Oh, and, and we're in an Aries moon, which I know you're into. Indeed. Well, we just had the Aries new moon on Friday, which is I a know. big kind of like, it's almost like a reset in a way. It's a really potent time to be setting intentions for the new year. So we're still very much in that energy of but today would be a great day if you're watching it on the day that we've gone live, April 9th, it would be a great day to really kind of like take, find a moment to sit with yourself and get really serious about like, what is the life I really truly in my heart of hearts want to create for myself? What do I need to cultivate more of in order to make that happen? What might I need to get out of my life to create space for this life that I really, really want to create? Um, and to be quite selfish about it, Aries gets a rap for being kind of selfish. <laughs> but actually, I prefer to think about this as cultivating a sort of healthy, higher selfishness. Because really, mm. it's only when you're looking after yourself and you're being true to yourself that you have the energy and the um, ability to help other people too. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I will say, because we met in in a moon that was like not great, plus Mercury was in retrograde and we were all feeling it. We and were. <laughs> I have felt a huge shift since this new moon on uh, Friday. Uh, me but, too. But what was hilarious and wonderful to me was, you know, we're talking about working together. I'm desperate to have, bring you on at Light Hustle Publishing and have you write books for us. And you said, can we just wait till Mercury is out of retrograde to discuss? <laughs> because, because bad things can happen. Miscommunication miscommunication you might forget to ask something that's really important and wind up signing something that actually isn't completely in alignment and it's just I think I mean many of us now that mercury retrograde is is a term that's coming more into kind of like the mainstream I think many of us can relate like things just seem to go a little awry communications don't seem to land often but it can also be a really good time to redo conversations that may need a redo it's like go back into your past almost and to reach out to someone maybe you've got some unfinished business with you know mm-hmm. um and to kind of clean up your side of the street a little bit um mm-hmm. during mercury retrograde so it has its uses of course like everything um it's just that it's not great for signing business contracts and talking about deals <laughs> so wait mercury in retrograde is when we should clean it up or after no, it's when we can. We can use it. This is again, like if we're consciously making choices about like creating the kind of a life we want. If there's a conversation that's kind of not finished and it's been playing on your mind, that's using up so much of your energy. Oftentimes you don't even realize how much of your energy and space that's taking up in your head until you clear it up. I'm sure many mm-hmm. people watching this will be familiar with mm-hmm. this kind of process, right? Um, so Mercury retrograde is a good time to go and kind of like clean up or um, make amends in a way, or, you know, just kind of get clear on something that may not be clear. Mm -hmm. I've used it that way. You may not always get the resolution that you want, 
But if you're going into that kind of a, um, a men's making situation with utter, like total integrity on your part, that's really the best you can do. Whether someone's willing to meet you there <clears throat> is another question. But as long as you know you have done the best you can do, mm-hmm. then I think, I mean, in my experience that, you know, that's given me in situations the freedom to kind of move on and just stop dedicating so much headspace and energy to it. <laughs> well, so, so let us, we have to get close to wrapping up. So Jordan was late, which is, you know, he's going to be Sorry, grounded Jordan. for that. Um, but it's Sarah's chiming in. That's so true. Having a miscommunication stinks. Yes, it does. It really does. Um, so, but speaking of communication, how, first of all, the book, and I was very excited that I was organized enough to have the cover out, but it's on my iPad, which likes to be, uh, difficult. Uh, oh my God, I don't even have one anywhere near me. I can't even, I'm in my own house on my own desk and I don't even have my own. But Ruby, look, look, there it is. Yeah. Um, you don't have copies because it's selling so well, right? It's everywhere. So yeah, you better get it quick, man. <laughs> well, I will say I went to that amazing meditation place that you guys told me about when I was in New York. And not only was your book there, but Emily awesome. Fletcher, who I just had met, who's going to come on my web series. I'm just like, oh my God, the vibe here. I felt so welcome. And then the third book was someone else I knew. I was like, yes. <laughs> I um, love that. So where can people, where do you want people to get the book? Um, well, my publisher always encourages me to share the links for IndieBound, which I'm, I'm going to go with that too. Like IndieBound is um, an online service that allows you to buy books from independent, small independent publishers all over the country. So let's support them because normally I send people to Amazon and of course you can go to Amazon. But like IndieBound is also um, there, but all the different formats are on, on Amazon. I, there's also an audio book. Told, told by me. Um, mm-hmm. So if you um, enjoyed hearing me speak about this and you like audiobooks, that could be fun to get too. <laughs> and if you love her accent, which who doesn't, right? There's that. I was going to say that, but then I might. You can't say it, but I can, right? Uh oh. Uh oh. You're you're a little bit frozen. So it, yeah, it's frozen a bit. Um, but you know, and Mercury's not even in retrograde. Um, and if you want to find out more about Ruby, rubywarrington.com is the hub. And do you have a newsletter list or where we can sign I up? I do. Um, the best, the place I'm kind of most active is Instagram, like mm-hmm. world, I feel like. Um, so I actually started my own at Ruby Warrington Instagram account um, when this book came out because I have the, the numinous on Instagram too. But I was kind of aware, like, not everybody who's into astrology and tarot is going to also be wanting to talk about sobriety. And I want to talk yeah. about the curious all the time. So that's mainly on Ruby Warrington. And in my link tree, there's a link to sign up newsletters and things like that. So, yeah. Um, well, wonderful. Ruby, thank you so much. Everybody who is here, thank you so much. If you're hearing it on the podcast, thank you so much. And uh, check out more too about lighthustlepublishing.com because I may have Ruby on staff writing books <laughs> uh, as a freelancer. Let's not, let's not get me in trouble with my, uh, with the IRS as a freelancer. Um, <laughs> had to be paranoid. Um, yeah. Art says you could listen to your accent all day. I totally could too. Um, thank you everybody. And, um, I will be back with another Facebook live soon. Um, thank you, Ruby. Have thank a wonderful you so day. Much for having me. Bye. Set intentions today. Do it. Do it.